Fred? No, as George. No. Good Hello, Axel. Good evening, David. Good Hope evening. Every... Uh, hope everyone is well. Um, sorry for. No. Is it on me? <laughs> no problem. I just lost audio. I apologize. Uh, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you now, Nuno, and welcome. It's yeah. very good to see you. I was, I was saying, sorry, it's, uh, I was saying it's uh, good to be back uh, to our uh, show here and let's get it uh, started, I suppose. Let's give it a go. I mean, um, we already had a little chit-chat with Radu about what he has encountered, what he had summarized, but let's go through the topics of this week because there is so much to discuss. We touched a little bit about, uh, on, uh, say, the lines of contact earlier, but... Uh, where do you want to start? You want to give a brief? No, first of or... all, first of all, a shout out to Radu. Radu, uh, you do good work, man, uh, in compiling some uh, of the uh, of the ebb and flow of the conflict and providing some analysis on the conflict. It's good to have you. Good to have you as a speaker because uh, I'm, I'm, I look forward to to talking with you about this because. Uh, I like your work very much. I recommend everyone follow him. Uh, he does good, good work. Uh, it's very streamlined, uh, OSINT stuff, but very well put together, well done. It's sometimes uh, good information just needs to be provided in a clear and uh, timely manner. And that's uh, that's something I respect very much. And I think that's... Uh, uh, so a shout out to you, man. Uh, it's always great uh, to have you here so we can discuss the pleasure we have never talked online. So um, i like to start with, uh, to an extent, the dumbest one of, of I, I, let's not say dumb because people might be offended, but one of the unnecessary uh, uh, operations uh, by uh, the Russians, and let's talk Ramina, Axel. Let's do this. Let's, let's talk about the forests and uh, not the bees and the birds, but the um, Russian artillery. There are many, many approaches, and uh, how the Ukrainians are dealing with it. It's a massive concentration, isn't it? It's a significant concentration, but more than that, I'd, uh, I think that more than exactly uh, that issue, I would like to focus on one thing. Uh, we, last week, uh, we spoke about how this operation uh, in Kremina had no real, well, we could not see the the purpose of it, let's call it that. Uh, even the operations up north, uh, in Lugansk uh, that so many have said, okay, they stick to make a play for the Oskil River. Sure, I'll, I get that. It's almighty fine. Uh, would have made sense way back. But from um, an overview point or a more, let's not call it an overview point, but more of a, a 30,000 feet view of the conflict, um, I think uh, the offensive in Kremlin was particularly um, strange. I get it that uh, they may want to engage uh, Ukrainian reserves, 
I get that. There was apparently one uh, battalion of CV-90s detached there. Um, from all what I've seen, I may be wrong, but from all I've seen, there's about a battalion of CV-90s that were detached to, to, to that front. But that's it. There's no significant commitment of reserves by Ukraine. Uh, the fighting in those forests is uh, tremendous. And the issue that are, that for me is more uh, important, let's put it this way, is that I cannot really envision um, what's the purpose of this. Okay, commit reserves. All right, but if you want Ukraine to commit reserves, you better commit your reserves in other places of the theater. Eventually, relieve some pressure out of the flanks of Bakhmut and out of the south. Out of the south, it's pretty far away. So, yes, Ukraine might uh, have to commit reserves, but it will never be the reserves or the forces committed to the south. So, in that sense, makes little sense in terms of the southern theater. Regarding uh, the this particular part of the theater, this particular area of operations, they haven't been able to make significant advances. Yes, they had some some success. That's true. Russians did have some success early on uh, while uh, committing reserves uh, towards the region of Torsk. And that remains contested. But we've seen Ukraine basically uh, retakes most of the, retake most of the ground. And there's not significant movement, but there was significant attrition. Now, I can't really see the purpose of this. Uh, sometimes, I've said this last week, and I sometimes uh, fear that I'm repeating myself. But sometimes I see this as I see the Russians doing things that look like three or four different wars going on. This is kind of um, this is another testimony to uh, lack of a an overall strategic plan. Unless there's uh, some uh, hidden movement here that I'm not uh, really seeing. I get the point. Yes, you want to press the front towards Lyman, Liman, towards Kupiansk in the north. I get all that. That makes sense. But unless you have massive reserves and massive amounts of ammunition, men, and hardware uh, stacked up for an operation there, that's not going to happen. Right? And yes, uh, we've seen it. Uh, we've seen them commit a few forces here. Uh, some reserves here that frankly I think they would be better used but never interrupt the enemy when the enemy is making a mistake so uh, this is one of the aspects I would like to point out that uh, a week prior to our last discussion yes the Russians made some advances yes they've lost most of those uh, those positions they still have some gains but it's minimal stuff it's minimal minimal stuff there's significant attrition. Those forests, as you were saying, Axel, are uh, terrifying to to fight on and to fight in. And there's uh, some significant fighting um, along the regions uh, of Bilorokiva and 
Zolotarivka, so just south of Crimea. But, I mean, there's no... All this line, all the fighting here has been ongoing for... Basically, this has been the ebb and flow of the conflict for a year and something, or for a year and a few months. And this is an, so in, this is an infancy as war, well, right? I mean, when you look at the uh, force composition and the force uh, structure there, uh, yes, there are mechanized uh, mechanized infantry. So there's a couple of things, as you said, with the uh, CD90s involved. But this is not maneuver warfare, not at all. This is not heavy duty. Uh, say there's no tank brigade, at least none which we've seen. There's the second is is around, but that's in the southeast of that sector, and the remainder is a lot of solid, well-trained, hardened um, Ukrainian infantry. There's no assault forces there, interestingly. They're further to the northwest of this. And there's a lot of artillery, seemingly from the Ukrainian side, now actually being brought there. Yes, and and, uh, there's there's a significant concentration of forces here. Uh, And I think uh, one of the... The interesting aspects of, uh, of Kremina, uh is exactly the um, that the fighting. This is basically attrition, positional warfare, right? It's, it has become an attrition, a front, like many places in this front. To be honest, uh, an attrition fight, and but I don't see if, but more than what there or what's not. Yes, there's no big maneuver element out there. There's um, no big, no large tank brigades and all that. The terrain is not the best for that either way. But the, my point is a bit different. Is My point is there's no really, uh, no significant uh, value in pushing this front uh, by the Russians, there's no significant value in pushing this front west, unless they're still trying. Unless they're still trying, and that would be kind of strange. But unless they're still trying to uh, uh, get um, to the to the, to the borders of the oblast, yeah. of the oblast. Yeah, I mean that's the only real. Uh, I'd say the only real um, objective I could I could envision for this operation, apart of making Ukrainians uh, and making Ukrainians commit their reserves, that's something I think that it probably was in their mind. I'm not sure if they were successful. I don't think so. I see Radu has a point. Please go ahead, Radu. Good to have you. Man. Thank you, thank you, Nuno, and uh, thank you for your kind words. And it's uh, very nice to have you here and uh, listen to you and, and listening to you all the time that I uh, am here and you are here. And it's awesome to to hear you. And thank you for your kind words. Regarding Kremina, uh, if you go to the political level, if you if you remember, uh, that part is part of officially in the constitution of Russia right now. It's part of Russia. So basically, maybe the, that Shoigu and Gerasimov had give, got the orders to, uh, you have to take back uh, Liman. Because if we remember, after uh, Putin ratified that uh, uh, the annexations or the annexation of 
the territories that were occupied back then, uh, uh, that means uh, Lugansk Oblast, uh, part of Zaporizhia Oblast, uh, Kherson Oblast, uh, Donetsk Oblast, that was under their control. Uh, two days later, uh, they, they, they went away from Liman. They, they were cast away from Liman to, to, to be uh, there. Uh, so maybe this is one of, uh, uh, of their objectives. Maybe, maybe Putin said that you have to push there because it's our territory and we make a fool of, of, of ourselves. This could be one of the reasons. And the other reason is that after Kremina, you have a large uh, urban concentration that Rubine, Severodonetsk, Lysychansk. So if you go... Uh, uh, to south, to so Krem- south. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So if you go through, through Kremina, if uh, Ukrainians go through Kremina and go south, they will take Lysychansk uh, uh, and Severodonetsk. Uh, and and let me add another thing to that. Uh, that was that was that's the reason actually that I was saying that it's more interesting for the Ukrainians than for uh, for the Russians because Russians had basically a stable position in this area that they could defend. And if you go south, you'll see Severodonetsk, you'll see Lysychansk, which, of course, commands uh, also, this cuts off that uh, ground line of communication that comes from the north, from Svatov, correct? Yep. And this road is important for Russia as a ground line of communication. And an additional part of this is if you go south of Lysychansk, you are uh, getting to uh, basically the, the the flank. The If you go to Lysychansk, you're getting to the flanks of Bakhmut from the north. Yeah, right? and into, if I, into, if, Popazna, into Popazna. Yeah, and if I may, uh, if, if you go to, if you just reach north of Severodonetsk, you you sever. Huh, I like this. If you go to Severodonetsk, you sever the lines, uh, the two main lines, uh, the supply lines from Svatove and from Starobilsk, the two uh, uh, big ones that are coming from uh, Kursk and from the Berdyansk Oblast and from uh, Voronezh, Voronezh Oblast uh, from from Russia. Basically, then you will have only one oblast that you can use. Uh, to uh, feed the army, uh, the Russian army, that's uh, Rostov uh, Oblast. And that would be a big problem because you have to go through uh, uh, the so-called republics of uh, Donetsk and Lugansk uh, yes. and after that uh, feed, feed the, the southern front and the eastern front. And that would be, that for me, for sure, it would be a collapse of uh, the, the 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 eastern front from for the Russians, but the idea, my idea is that uh, uh, Kremina is now uh, the the Kremina front, and even uh, the 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 whole line from Kupiansk to Kremina, I, the Ukrainians have the uh, uh, the initiative. They let the Russians take uh, land, meaning uh, just land. They took just a few uh, 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 settlements that are very small. Uh, they didn't have any chance to go uh, uh, 
to to cross uh, Ospil River in the north or something like that. We already saw that, and it's two weeks old right now, and they didn't move one inch further because they can't do that because the heights of uh, in the western front of uh, on the east western flank uh, of uh, of Oskil, the heights are controlled by the Ukrainians, so you cannot cross the river over there. Uh, and in other places, uh, they are already uh, entrenched with the Ukrainians and they have the control. So basically, I think this is actually uh, in their control, in their uh, operational control, and they control how much they let the Russians go, how much yes, they I, bring them back. I I agree. I agree with you, uh, Radu. I think this operation was, um, to an extent, uh, it was. It had some success. It had some success, uh, and uh, it's um, it had some has uh, has had some success. The Russians have had some success, but I think the success they had some of it was due to uh, the Ukrainians letting it uh, play out to an extent. Let's call it that. Because um, they don't have the ability uh, to... They don't have the ability to... Uh, to How can I put it? They don't have the ability to um, really... Uh, press the front that Ukraine has been defending for, for quite some time. Uh, you would need significant more forces than they have. I agree with you with one point. You you raise a very a very good point, which is basically um, there's um, a little... There's a political angle probably to this, okay? Uh, which is... Um, the political angle being um, that the Kremlin uh, wants a success and they want to reach the, the oblast uh, uh, borders. That's, that's clear. I think the, the, the overall thinking is still, for some reason, despite all of the, the statements from the Ukrainian side, I think that the overall operational thinking or the overall strategic thinking by the Russians is still we want a frozen conflict, right? I think uh, the only way I can explain this is through that. We want a frozen conflict. We want to eventually uh, play out. We want to eventually uh, let the West um, uh uh, play uh, let the West uh, out do uh, we want to uh, outlast Western support, which at this stage should uh, give them some pause, uh, but it hasn't. They still cling to that, and uh, even when the U.S. and Europe are discussing the next support programs for Ukraine, and we want to. Um, press to the borders of the, the oblast and then we want a frozen conflict they they firmly believe that ukraine has no agency in this which is 
to an extent, it's very, very awkward for me because every uh, top uh, uh, leader uh, ever, uh, everyone in the in the leadership of Ukraine, from President Zelensky to uh, Dmitry Kuleva to uh, well, Budanov and Zaluzny and to the military guys, everyone has been ex- explicit in saying, and, and actually President Zelensky was very explicit in saying in recently in an interview, we have uh, no uh, intention of getting a frozen conflict and letting this happen again. If even if there's a ceasefire, if Russia attempts anything or if Russia is threatening, we will act. And that pol- clear political statement should be uh, pretty uh, uh, pretty clear to to everyone. Now I don't get why they still insist uh, on this, but. Well, they do, uh, but that's my view. Go ahead, brother, please. Thank you. Uh, I, I totally agree. And one thing uh, uh, regarding uh, President Zelensky and uh, his, uh, his speeches. Uh, uh, if President Zelensky even would cross his mind, I, I don't believe he, he crosses his mind ever, this, uh, but if it crosses his mind, okay, let's do a, a, a frozen conflict. Uh, let's let's make a ceasefire. Then he will lose all the all the support of the Ukrainian people because uh, I spoke yesterday or two days ago in in the space in the morning uh, regarding the uh, the raping of uh, children in in Ukraine by the, the Russian uh, soldiers uh, back in uh, last back in the one year ago. Uh, so I read the UN report uh, that was from June 2022, and there you can read that uh, the youngest uh, uh, child that was molested, uh, uh, it was let's let's I will say just molested, but not and I don't know if it was rape or or what because uh, her statement said he gave me the wee wee. This is quote unquote. It's on the UN report. She was four years old. Now imagine there's, that. There's no. There's there's no way there's political support in Ukraine for a frozen conflict. That absolutely. Just, that, that's why. Exactly. That's why I'm saying. And once one thing that I that I if I might add, if we go and Axel, I think here he can support better than than me this this argument. Uh, Ukraine in in the past was the brain of the USSR in, in the mm-hmm. military past. I mean, uh, you you know, uh, Amiral Kuznetsov, uh, uh, their carrier was built in uh, Mykolaiv Oblast. The the Ukraina, uh, uh, the other uh, 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 carrier, uh, it, it's still it, it's still in Mykolaiv Oblast in uh, not Oblast in uh, uh, Mykolaiv uh, shipyard. I saw it with my own eyes. It's yes. half past death. Yes. Uh, uh, you, uh, 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 Moskva 
the Emerald ship Moskva was built in Nikolai's uh, 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 yes. shipyard. And it was named Slava. And, um, it was named Slava. At yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, everything that was uh, important in, and, uh, in technology and development was made in Ukraine. We don't, if we go back in time, T-34 was in Kharkiv Oblast developed uh, in, Kharkiv, uh, in Kharkiv city. And so basically you have a culture of innovation and, uh, and uh, of uh, development. So even if now, uh, the, uh, with the help of AI and uh, the help of uh, drone swarms and everything like this, we, if they have enough money, Ukrainians will be able to create their own, to de de develop their own army in two, in two, two three years without any uh, uh, material support, but not financial. Of course, financial is needed. Support from, uh, from, from the Western. I was just saying, uh, so I just saw from uh, um, defense, uh, uh, how do you call it, uh, speaker, uh, talking about the drone Trimbica, which is called yes, which uh, is the kind new of one. A monitoring cruise, it's more akin to a cruise missile than a drone, frankly. Um, yeah, I, yeah, 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 and it's, it's, it's created in Ukraine by Ukrainians. Ukrainian yes, volunteers. You have you have another you have another example of this, which is the Neptune. The yeah. Neptune is another is another good example uh, of a system, a homeborn system, that is basically created um, by Ukrainians in Ukraine. So uh, to that extent, um, and Vilka, if you if we think about it, Vilka MLR uh, in the Hiven uh, Rim. Uh, uh, which we haven't seen operational use that we know of. There's some discussion around that, but let's not get into the to the nitty gritty of the, the the systems. But yes, Ukraine of course has uh, the ability to to fight on uh, as long as it has financial support. But the most important thing of this is they have their own agency. So this idea that the Russians apparently have that they have no agency and that they, they can basically uh, support, they can basically uh, declare a frozen conflict if the West uh, uh, presses Ukraine. The, West, the, the Western powers couldn't, press, couldn't pressure Ukraine. And Zelensky doesn't have the political conditions in Ukraine, be, even being Zelensky, to go for a frozen conflict. That's an important part of it. Ukrainians want to keep fighting. So, uh, if if the reasoning influencing influencing influence <laughs> being an influence in military operations by the Russians is this idea of getting a frozen conflict, they drank too much of their Kool Aid. But they still hope. They evidently, uh, Patrushev, Putin, his clique, they still hope that a bellwether change in U.S. politics, and it doesn't even matter whether uh, a previous president were to be. Uh, <clears throat> offered the chance to serve again, or whether it would be a weaker uh, Democrat um, or a, uh, say, weaker Republican. It doesn't really matter. Whoever comes in, any kind of change during the election phase and prospective change and blockage were to come. Uh, but that is a misinterpretation. The Russians misinterpret the U.S. political system. 
they believe in their own, again, their Kool-Aid, the imperial presidency, which it yes. only is to one extent. The Senate and the House are full, massively full and swept full with people who have a very clear opinion. Even the ones who are about to primary and probably going to then contest in the next batch of Senate elections and the next uh, House election alongside the general election, they are highly unlikely to change the color of the Americans themselves. And the American color is not making a pact with dictators, with child molesters, rapists, no, looters. No. It, is, it just isn't. Another, it just isn't. There's another thing about uh, U.S. politics that I'd say it's important. Uh, always back the winner. So if any administration worth their soul, we want to back the winner. We want Ukraine to win. We spoke at length about this last week regarding the Atakams. Um, there's, we keep this issue with the Atakams, always a good reminder. But I'll not bore you to that with the Atakams again. I'll be writing something about that soon enough. And, and first in Portuguese, but I'll publish it in English because it's an important it's an important, uh, also an important uh, issue. Um, one of the other things I would like very much, let's continue uh, discussing the battlefield a bit. Uh, the other uh, thing I would like to uh, point out is uh, we, Ukraine has kept pressure uh, on the southern front. Uh, we have seen some gains being made uh, just uh, south of Staromayorsk towards the direction, the direction, sorry, of Staromlinivka. Uh, and uh, this, as we spoke at length last week, is a very important uh, part of the, the operation because it uh, leads south. Ukraine is basically now on the, the very um, uh, front of the the so-called Surovikin line. So we are seeing uh, the we'll probably be seeing uh, the in the coming weeks the attempts to to breach this line. Uh, we've seen it also uh, some good interesting advances out here in around the region uh, further west around the region of Robotany, and here Robotin is we have. Ukraine's trying to basically uh, go around Robotny uh, and uh, make a move. Uh, make a move. This is important. This is relevant. Uh, it's. It's. I think it's an interesting uh, move because Robotny uh, sits very close, very close to Tokmak, and here's the rub. And I've said this last week. If the breach here in Staromlinivka heads south towards Berdyansk and Mariupol, the other part of the front where this is going in Robotany, it heads towards uh, Robotany and towards Tokmak. We're talking a few... uh, kilometers from Tokmak, 
I don't think the Ukrainians will uh, eventually, when they break through uh, this region, I don't think they will uh, look to uh, break into, to basically assault Tokmak. I think it's more of a, we are still basically in the moment where uh, a breach needs to occur, right? Uh, And along uh, this front, uh, we see also some progress in uh, for the West in Luhov, uh, which obviously the objective is Vasilivka, which uh, sits on uh, the river. And this is an important city because it controls the ground lines of communication. Now, will they break through? Uh I've seen a fascinating article about from the New York Times saying it's not working. Uh, the New York Times has its days. Sometimes it's working, sometimes it isn't. Sometimes uh, the training isn't working. Sometimes the training is working. Uh, you're, des- and, you're describing the journalism training at the New York Times, right? Yeah, and and I'm saying uh, and I'm seeing the the part that says. Um, uh, none of this is working because they're not fighting like NATO. No shit. Um, they don't have the air superiority NATO would have or the integration of fires and all that. Um, but uh, the other funny part is um, none of this is working when they've committed... They've rotated some forces, basically, and they've committed uh, uh a fraction of their uh, offensive uh, capability still. And they're being very... Uh, this whole operation in the South re- is a throwback for me, uh, at least. I may be wrong, but it's a throwback to um, the, um, the Kherson operation, which is steady pressure, systematic targeting of... Artillery, counter-battery, logistics, uh, and, uh, um, sorry, uh, hardware, ammo depots, communications, command and control, in a steady, uh, systematic manner. And then eventually, they'll want to break into, uh, they'll breach these lines, because these lines will be breached. We we have seen that, that there's some difficulties by Russia regarding ammunition. And I know there's a lot of people saying, well, the Russians don't have any... The Russians have a massive problem with supplying these forces, especially after the attacks on Chongar, a bridge, uh, and the fact that the, the ground line of communication running south uh, from Rostov-on-Don, Mariupol, Berdyansk, and Melitopol is controlled by it's not under fire control but it's reachable if if necessary and so this will eventually happen of course will they seek to seize the main cities i don't think so it will be something like kerson right it, this is a they've resorted to their own way of war in a sense because they don't have the assets that usually the U.S. and um, and uh, other uh, forces would be able to to use, 
and NATO forces would be able to deploy and to use. So it's uh, normal to go back to a, 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 an operation and a, a design, an operational design that fits more their way of war. Uh, that doesn't mean, however, that the training in the systems that were provided by NATO isn't working. But combined arms warfare is a tricky discipline. And uh, at scale, it's hard to, to teach uh, in such a small span of time. So again, uh, people are dismissing the, the agency and the knowledge and the institutional capacity of the Ukrainian armed forces. They have a plan for this. They're fighting their own war in a way that seem, seems more reasonable to them, despite all the training and all the systems we've provided. That really, we've upgraded their systems, basically. We've provided training in those systems and how to employ them. But uh, they're using their own uh, rules and their own way of war, let's put it this way, to, to conduct these operations in their own country against an enemy they know better than us. So in that sense, uh, it's not something to be... Yeah, it's not that NATO train failed or something like that. I mean, it's that's nonsense, uh, because the the Russians also are struggling with a lot of this, and um, they're struggling for once for with command and control, with ammunition, with a number of things. So that's an important uh, thing I would like to to be clear about. Uh, this they have a plan. It's and. It's working because we've seen, for instance, in artillery, significant damage to, to Russian assets. And Russia is an artillery-centered uh, military. Randall, please, go ahead. Thank you. And uh, for what it's worth, it, uh, you, we all remember when everybody in the West said, go back from Bakhmut. Uh, it's a very bad decision to stay in Bakhmut and to fight for Bakhmut, and uh, as we uh, now see, it was the best idea. And, General, and it, I, I was one of the guys, one of the few who said, this is a, a gamble, but it's it's war. You gamble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thanks God that I wrote a, a summary in Romania, a, a nightly summer, uh, summary, uh, a seat rep, uh, uh, that I'm doing for, for a long time since 26th of February, uh, when I'm not in the front lines in Ukraine, and I said that, no, this General General Sirsky, who made the decision to stay in Bakhmut, had the most brilliant idea, and everybody was against it. Everybody in the West was against him. We all remember this, and it was the best idea, because one thing led to another, and here we go, where is Wagner now? And we have to be frank. Wagner, with their type of uh, uh, storming, uh, attacking, and stuff like that, that we don't like because it's against anything that we call humane or anything like this. And it, uh, it trespasses anything that is uh, written in Geneva Convention. Uh, but it works. It, wor- it, it, it worked for Russians. But now they don't have uh, 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 Wagner uh, uh, troops over there. Why? Because... They stayed, the, the Ukrainians stayed and uh, uh, destroyed, basically, the Wagner in 
uh, in Bakhmut, in the orb, uh, urban warfare. Uh, we, despite that, I've been into Bakhmut when it was um, almost in the operational uh, uh, encirclement uh, inside Bakhmut, in the middle of Bakhmut, and they were fighting with very big problems, the Ukrainians, because you had a, a block of flats, just take it like this, and you knew that you have 30 Wagners inside that, uh, that, uh, that block of flats. But inside that block of flats, you had 10 civilians. So do you sh shoot it down or not? And you couldn't shoot it down because you had 10 civilians of your own. So they had a lot of problems, uh, a lot of uh, dif difficulties, not problems, difficulties and not obstacles. And they still managed to do their job over there and deplete and destroy basically the Wagner forces. And they did not commit reserves meant for exactly. defensive operations. They, and rotated, they rotated TDF and eventually yep. uh, Kraken was sent in to stabilize it. Yeah, and Azov. And Azov South. It's, and Azov uh, South, yes. Uh, yeah. Towards, towards Klinchivka. Uh, Klinchivka, yeah. Klinchivka, yeah. Klinchivka. Klinchivka, yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. and regarding Robotina, uh, uh, when I'm looking at Robotina right now, I'm thinking of Battle of uh, Gazala. I think the second Battle of Gazala, when Erwin Rommel went, uh, like doing a half of a circle uh, uh, to to get to to Gazala and from there to how is it? Was it called? Damn, I have a lapsus. Uh, I right can't now. remember the name, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you know what you know what they, I'm talking they about. They bypassed it. They bypassed it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So Operation it made me remember that. By movement, yes. by breach. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and I think he's doing the same because in front of uh, in front of Robotina, if you if you look on the maps, you can see uh, on the northern uh, west side. They have all those uh, entrenched uh, and fortified uh, layers from the Sulovikin uh, line. So basically, uh, Ukrainians know, why should we go over there? <laughs> we can go between Robotina and uh, Verbove and encircle it and uh, attack it from behind. And after that, I think their idea is to go down south to Azov Sea uh, to the uh, uh, somewhere mm -hmm. around Henichesk uh, uh, region where it's basically between Azov uh, Sea and uh, uh, the, the uh, where you get to, to, to Crimea and mm -hmm. basically they will create they will create an uh, uh, an, an, an island of uh, uh, Russian soldiers between uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Dnieper River in the in the west and the uh, Crimea that will be cut off and will be, be become basically an island in I the think, south. I think I think the, basically the idea in Robotany, uh, from what we look at it, if we look at a map, they're going for Kapani in the in the western part of Robotany, and they're going for Verbov in uh, uh, to produce a, an operational encirclement of Robotany, and then uh, force them to retreat. That's my view. 
Yeah, and I agree that I don't think that they will take, uh, uh, they will attack frontally uh, Tokmak or Melitopol because they, they, no, they don't, they don't have to defend it. You don't have to. You encircle yeah, it exactly. and force a retreat because the, uh, the partisans in Melitopol will make life of the remaining defenders so harsh and when there's no supplies for them, uh, they will have to simply withdraw. Yeah, exactly. Basically, if you cut if you cut all the uh, the the ground communication lines, what what can you do? You you get from hunger shell to hunger, to real hunger, and then you're going to either surrender or you'll die. Of course, of course. And then the the thing is, uh, you don't you don't want to assault Doc Machina, You don't don't want to assault Melitopol. You want to force them out of the region that's that's the the play here uh, i also think and this is my view from the beginning of this once the line is breached once there's a, a breaching of these lines you'll have uh better conditions at uh assaulting uh uh at you once the line is breached uh, there's going to be substantial effects on the enemy. And, and if, I, if I may, one thing, just just a quick ahead, one. Ahead, I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Uh, I think one of the most important things, even on the political level and on the uh, uh, societal level in the Western countries, I think Ukrainians are very aware of this. They have to get to, Meli, uh, to, to Mariupol very uh, quite fast. Why? And it's, it's, it's strange political. enough. It's, it's easier for them to get to, to, to Mariupol because the Surovikin line is uh, it's easier to pass uh, uh, on that uh, on that eastern side. Uh, why do I say this? In Mariupol, we saw from Maksar uh, uh, sat uh, satellite images that basically you have there. Uh, uh, hectares and hectares of cemeteries of civilians that that died. I think we will see this again. Take it with a pinch of salt. What I'm saying right now, but I think we will discover when the Ukrainians will get there. We will discover one of the worst genocides in the last decades. And then, even if other uh, all all the countries will feel war fatigue or the, the society will feel war fatigue and Stuff like that. When they will get there and they will the show impact, us... The, the impact yeah. on the information space is, is large. Yeah, and exactly. It's, and it's easy to galvanize more support. Exactly, exactly. And, and that's, and that's we've, a good point. And we've been saying this here since June last year. And by the way, one of the reasons why Ben Hodges here on the space since May last year highlighted that the attackers were needed is in order to find a way to break through to the... Uh, Sea of Azov and free Mariupol. That's exactly the point. And don't forget, it, Mariupol is not dead quite yet. There's hundreds of thousands of people dead and suffering. And that that's and it has an irregular movement. Yes. Uh, very active, which just poisoned 17 Russian soldiers. So uh, there's obviously a, a clearly uh a movement here by uh, Ukraine to exploit to exploit that irregular capability that uh, Ukraine uh, has shown uh, over and over again. 
the thing is uh, an important an important issue here, and I would like to circle a little more on on the operational side. Is further south. Let's look at the river. Now, this has been an interesting bit. Uh, we've seen Oleski uh, around, just across from Kherson. We've seen uh, some significant uh, a bridgehead by Ukraine that hasn't been um, expelled. And we've seen some significant operations around deep in the south, like Skadovsk and in the spits, Darabat spits. And we've seen also uh, operations here to target uh, Russian artillery. There's uh, um, an increase, let's put it this way in uh, targeting operations in this area. And the Oletsky um, bridgehead remains active. So I wouldn't put it past Ukrainians to attempt um, uh, operations in the future to expand the Oletsky uh, bridgehead uh, to more... Uh, to uh, drive uh, uh, south, uh, because here's the rub. Uh, with uh, Chongar Bridge destroyed, one of the uh, the main ground line of communication for Russian forces is out of Armyansk. Um, and so, as it is out of Armyansk, um, it's 70 kilometers from Olevsky to Armyansk in a straight line. If you push that bridgehead, let's say, 20 kilometers or 10 kilometers even, uh, there's, a, there's a problem for uh, any Russian logistics coming out of Armyansk. Because one thing is using uh, storm shadows to, tar- to tackle uh, uh, high-value targets uh, deep in the rear, but you cannot use cruise missiles to to interdict roads, to interdict ground lines of communication. You're not artillery or aircraft, in this case, artillery. So this is an important bit of this. Pay attention to the Oletsky and see, because we have here clear some operations going out about in the south, and they have clearly... Uh, an interest uh, in this region because it commands uh, the two MSRs out of uh, Crimea. So that's important. Radu, please, you want to add to this? Yeah, uh, and pay attention. One, one, I will just add up to what you said because I'm totally agreeing with you. And just to say that pay attention to Holapistan, which is uh, a little bit more southwest uh, from uh, Olesky, because we will have, uh, I, mark my words, we will have a, a bridgehead in Holapistan in, in, in the new, very near future. Let's not put it on a, time, on a timeline, because I, I don't want to say a timeline. But we will have a bridgehead over there. So there will be many breaches on, on the uh, Herson front, and that will make the Russians have a big problem. What, what are we going to do? Do we mobilize? Uh, do, do we move the mobilized 
reserves and the, the mobilized uh, uh, forces from uh, Vasilivka uh, uh, axis to support uh, the Kherson, uh, new, newly formed Kherson front, or do we stay and, uh, and uh, protect this, uh, this side? Because you cannot go through Armians for real and try to protect that, uh, uh, that front, because when you get there, for sure, not uh, exactly like you said, not storm shadows, but when you get with some uh, high mars around it, they will destroy and knock the hell down any line of, uh, of, of, of uh, uh, equipment that will go through Armiansk uh, to, uh, to Kherson. So they will have, uh, they will be in a bit of a pickle, like uh, uh, the Americans said. Or the British, I think the British. Said. And the, the thing the... here, uh, and the thing here, Radu, is exactly that. Uh, you cannot, you uh, once you have it in uh, Gimler uh, uh, range, and you have, uh, and you can uh, get uh, your soft and your recce elements deeper within uh, the lines. Uh, it you have a problem because there's only two ways out of Crimea. One, uh, the railhead bridge is blown. The other is Armiansk. Uh, this whole road that comes from Armiansk through Kalanchank and up then up north, uh, this whole thing is compromised, right? Uh, and it's it's like you say. The issue here is, okay, what do you do? We move forces out of Melitopol, and Tokmak or out of the, the front, and we move them to the to the to tackle any uh, crossing of the river. What do we do? Because there's no significant Russian forces in this region. There are forces, but they're not significant. Yes, Ukraine hasn't crossed with significant assets either, but the bridgehead in Aletsky has not gone anywhere, right? So, and that's important. And, and if you cannot expel what is basically a small maneuver element company to, but okay, let's call it the battalion size eventually, eventually. But I'll call it more like a couple of companies maybe uh, that have gone across that we know of, that we know of. Uh, the issue is You'll not be able to if if this amplifies and becomes more elements, and if you cross with some serious hardware, there's no way to stop this unless you take forces out out of the line, move them there, and that in turn will generate another problem in the other region because the issue here is the geography of this, right? But go ahead, brother, please. I, I just want to say one thing to, to the people that are listening to you. Uh, everything that you say and even everything that Axel is saying and David and Chuck and everybody who's coming here, I'm not some military expert or something like that. I just enjoy listening to you guys. Uh, uh, the, the main point is that this takes, takes time. So it is important for people to understand and disseminate the, the information that this takes time. It's not going to happen from one day to the other, to, to another and say, ah, Ukraine doesn't do anything. It's failing because it's not going like, I don't know, the 100 kilometers a day. And, and, no, it, it, 
Saints time. And Nuno said it here, and Axel and David and everybody that has some military background and or more military background, and they were here in the space. They always said things that eventually happen, but it takes time. And yes, of course people are, are, people are uh, eager to find out right now and to happen today, because if not, it doesn't happen today, then, oh, Ukrainians are disappointing us. That's but why, just that's remember... Why, that's why Rado, just, I always try to do a, like a 45,000 feet view of the, of the conflict, right? And not the nitty-gritty ebb and flow of they took X block and then uh, yeah, the, yeah. some guy crossed with a small wrecky element somewhere in the river because that happens every day, basically. Uh, that doesn't really make the big picture thing, right? The big picture here is what are we doing? Where are we seeing this go? And this is the thing. If you look at this consistently, at this, the strikes we've seen, the the effort being put in tackling ground lines of communication, in hitting concentration of forces, ammo depots, uh, in hitting command and control, and degrading and trying to draw out Russian reserves, this is not some random effort. This is all very systematic. And when we see something pick up in a given area of the theater, it's either one of two things, or it's a preparation for follow-on operations, or eventually can be deception. Uh, you uh, stage uh, 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 operations, but you do not yes. carry them out. Uh, but you to give the enemy a sense that eventually you need to move forces somewhere to military deception plays a role in this, okay? Uh, from all sides. Another thing which is critical to say is propaganda and information operations play a role in this. Because sometimes people don't understand one thing. When we run these spaces, there's uh, a significant number of people here. There's almost 500 accounts uh, online in this space. Plus, and there's some plus a lot of on... listeners, plus a lot of listeners through YouTube and anonymously. So there, there is a spread, but there's 500 who constantly take notes and engage, no matter what. Yes, and but let's say even these 500 accounts, there's actors uh, listening to these 500 accounts. These fi the, to what we say here, there's actors. And by actors, I mean everyone and their mother, including our good mate. A shout out to the SVR and the FSB. Shout out, boys. Hope you're doing well. Hello. 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 Tovaris. Hello. Uh, but they're here. So that's why we don't I sometimes I, I stay away from details and other things and a lot of people we we talk about some things and uh we stay away away from some details 
like rather say eventually this will happen but when he says eventually this will happen this you don't need exactly to be a wizard just any people with anyone with an amount of good sense and the Russian thing stupid that will look at us and say well we, we know eventually this will come down uh, we just don't know the specifics of it uh, but the thing here is uh, why am I saying this I'm saying this to, to, for you people to understand that that's why I take mostly uh, an approach out of uh, operations into a more operational and strategic level to the best of my abilities uh, when addressing the conflict, okay? That's the the reasoning here. Uh, we need to, to say that uh, there's a lot of actors listening and so we need to provide uh, an assessment, but uh, it needs to be balanced, let's call it that. I don't know beyond Radu if there's anyone with questions. If I if I may one thing. Uh, yeah, go go Radu, please. And and, uh, and not I'm not talking about the, the the people here in the space that are listening the five hundred and the ones and uh, in YouTube or uh, Spotify or whatever where they are uh, listening to us. But I'm uh, talking about the people that you people could could speak with. Do you think? Do they think that Plisivka liberation and and Andrivka liberation and uh, the the fighting for Kurdyumivka? Uh, uh, it was it happened from one day to another. No, it it, it was it had shaping up recon shaping operation recon in force, and uh, after that uh, attacking the, the the strongholds on the heights of uh, Plisivka, and after that. Uh, uh, attacking Kushivka itself. So that took time. But we spoke about this, I don't know, I think two months ago that this will happen. Because it was logical. And another thing is you cannot undo what is happening in in reality, like the the, the clocks, the the, uh, ground... uh, lines of communication uh, in in Melitopol and next to Melitopol, like uh, the most important one is, I don't know, M14, if I remember well, uh, which is going from Herson to Melitopol, which is basically uh, interdicted right now by Storm Shadow and uh, uh, HIMARS. And uh, so those are material things that it's, that are happening that will produce effects. Uh, everybody says, but yeah, but Russia has a lot of manpower that can bring up. No, it doesn't. At no, this it doesn't. point, it, no, doesn't. it doesn't. That's a good point. It no, it doesn't. Russia doesn't have manpower. Russia can mobilize. Russia can eventually, eventually deploy 150,000 more, which for a theater with a line of contact with a thousand kilometers is basically uh, a drop in the ocean. But even if they use that reserves, 150,000, if they add 160,000 with the current logistics issues, how on God's green earth will they feed them, supply ammo to them, and make them fight cohesively? That's the problem here, right? Yeah, and the training and everything. Yeah, 
when do you have the time to make the training and everything? You will just get them into a meat grinder and you kill your own men. I mean, I don't, I just don't want to say bad words about the whole society of of Russia because that's the whole society. I I I, I truly respect those thirty five thousand people that are in prison right now because in the first days of war they were against this uh, this invasion. Those are those are the those are the real heroes. When you know you're fighting a, a mafioso, a mafia system, and you're still doing it, that takes a lot of courage and a lot of balls. So. Kudos to you, yes. uh, Russian friends, that now, unfortunately, probably you are tortured in, in, in basements in, 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 in Russia. Though, so, so I'm not speaking about the whole society uh, of Russia, but generally, where do you get those people from? From the most poorest parts of Russia. 40% of Russia, uh, uh, Russian population, is below the level of uh, of poverty by the European standards. So and you, and you, these, these the, are the Western republics of the Eastern republics of Russia. Yes, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Not and you take them from them. Not the Rusland, not the Rusland yeah. core of Moscow, yeah. Saint Petersburg, and the other Rusland core cities. That's where and Putin you, could could get more forces, officers, and all that. But that has a political cost for him. Yeah, and you you take them from there, uh, 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 promising that you will give them give them a payment of one thousand five hundred euros or two thousand euros or something like that. It never happens, and now there are more and more uh, uh, soldiers, Russian soldiers from that part, that are posting online in Telegram, and you cannot stop internet. And. Uh, they are posting online that they don't they don't get paid for months and months. So the morale, the Russian morale right now, it's it's uh, backwards. It's very low, and the Ukrainian morale is very high. And yes, Russia cannot uh, mobilize effectively and train effectively and put one hundred and fifty thousand soldiers in the front lines ready to fight. The seven hundred thousand uh, uh, Ukrainians in total. Some of them are ZSU, uh, some are TDF. Uh, uh, some are uh, offensive brigade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like like I like to call them the nine, the nine brigades that are so uh, they are very well equipped and they they are just cannon fodder for those. So Russia, for all the Russians that are listening now, that they are interested interested in, no, we don't want your people to, to be killed. We don't care. We don't want your people to die. We we're, we care just that Russia respects the boundaries of Ukraine, respects the international law. Get the fuck out of Ukraine. Stop killing people. Stop killing uh, innocent uh, children. <laughs> stop rape, raping children. And that's it. That's all. We, that's all we care about. We don't care about you, uh, 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 your and your uh, political spectrum inside inside Russia. We don't care about that. You do your own stuff. Let us let Ukraine alone. That's about it. Yeah, but that, that does yes. not work. That does not work with the Russian perception of themselves. Yes, and there's and there's uh, there's an issue here, which is uh, the instability of Russia, and the instability of Russia is a given. 
uh, and uh, I've said it here a few times uh, that people are trying, even in the West, there's some, some, some forces, some political forces, even that support Ukraine very much, that want this to go away and want this back to uh, a, status, a status quo one-day conflict, which for a number of reasons, there isn't. That reality has gone. We've we've shifted into another reality where instability in Russia. Mark my words: instability in Russia is a given. There's a lot of things that we've seen lately, from the Prigozhin side to a number of other things, and a number of other uh, movements and uh, alignments and whatnot. And from everyone, from local governors, from Prigozhin, from the mob, from the organized crime, from a number of, a number of stakeholders in Russian uh, elites. And it's clear that the next, most of them are concerned with their own political survival. I've said this here many times, Russia is bound for instability. There's no way around that. That's a different discussion. What results from there? What happens there? What there's a number of scenarios that could happen there from everything and their mother. But the the most important thing is to realizing that we need to win this. Ukraine needs to win this in its terms, and then we need to rebuild Ukraine, make it a security player within NATO and uh, a player within the EU and then we'll need to manage, we'll need to keep arming we'll need to keep our European defense needs to ramp up because we have a period of decades of instability in Central Asia in Russia that we need to manage in, in about instability Let's talk a bit uh, before we go, Axel, I think, about our good mates in the Niger. Perfect. Uh, How to create... Well, I was, before we, I was going to say before we did that, though, I was going to make no, another ahead, comment. David, we, yeah, yeah. So, listen. So, uh, the, a little bit earlier, you were talking about um, uh, Herson um, and the sort of uh, what's happening there, right? So, I thought it might be worthwhile highlighting a, a couple of things so they can get the, an understanding of the of the logistics. We call it the logistics problem or the problem that's being will be asked of um, the Russian command. Right. So when we talked about the uh, um, uh, the Russian units there, the moment it looks like uh, the uh, Ukrainians are moving up towards Oleshki and then you've got that area of the Oleshki sands and the rest of it much further behind. Right. So uh, and I thought I'd highlight a couple of things, the questions that um, uh, the Russian command are going to have. Melissapol is 200 kilometers away. Armyansk is about 80 kilometers away from Oleshki. Um, but every time there are Russian units who are treated, um, they have the Russian command have a question of where they're going to get their new troops from. Because at the moment, there is a big, uh, there's a push, and they are under pressure in other areas. So the Russian command is going to have a big questions put to them. It will be, the questions will be, um, do they reinforce uh, 
the Herson area and where are they going to reinforce from, right? Because there'll be commanders everywhere else in Tokmak, Ribit, you know, Ribitini, Ribitino, or however we uh, mm. describe it, and the rest of it, right? Who will all be going, but I want those men. They can't be going to Herson where there's nothing happening. But every day, let's just say every day, 50, 50 are attrited, right? Well, maybe it's 100, right? Well, over a week, that's that's a, a, a NATO battalion or whatever that is of, of a battalion might be of the Russians at the moment. because We don't even know how they're even really uh, set up. Right. But that's a lot of troops. Every time they attrit some more, it's asking another question of the command. Where do they get these people from to fill those gaps? Yeah, that's that's the the, the issue. Uh, the more the, the more attrition, and and even hardware. I mean, Colonel Papi is artillery, right? I, I I'd like to to, to to state clearly to everyone that in uh, and to everyone listening that uh, apparently sometimes there's this idea that Russia can outpace um, the attrition of its hardware. It can't, right? It they don't have a kernel copy that produces artillery. Doesn't really magically pop up there, and we've seen it attrited. It takes time, yes, but we've seen the attrition. There's significant numbers. The numbers are are significant. Aren't they? Ukrainians have increased their their uh, per day consume um, consumption of shells about eight thousand. The last numbers I saw, and Russia is way down to less than uh, 20,000 from what I've seen. So in this, this is relevant, right? This is working. It means there's problems with ammunition and there's attrition hardware. Yes, of course, Ukraine also has attrition hardware, but Ukraine has a massive industrial base behind it that Russia doesn't and has supporters with deep pockets that Russia doesn't. Yes, the Chinese and all that, but have the Chinese supplied artillery to the Russians? Artillery pieces and ammo? Mm. I don't think so. Yes, North Korea has. Sure thing, they have. But what's Sergei uh, Shoigu uh, doing in the DPRK last week, uh, other than uh, negotiating uh, shells? in small arms ammunition. I don't think he he went there on vacation. Right? So, there's this apparently um, staggering idea that uh, there's going to be um, there's no uh, attrition that Russians can't outpace or can't do. No, they, they they have an enormous problem on their hands. Right, and this is this is relevant, and people should real realize uh, the issues they're facing. I mean, they, they have uh, guys like General Popov and Teplinsky who were basically shunned away for saying exactly what I'm saying. 
um, that they have a problem with supplies. And that eventually, if Ukraine breaks through, they have a massive problem on their hands. This is not me saying, right? It's Russian generals saying this. Not even the Ukrainians are saying this. It's the Russians. So I, I sometimes have this difficulty understanding why on earth there's this apparently permanent idea that Russia cannot pay attrition, can produce whatever it likes, however it likes, in the numbers it likes, and it has a gazillion men to throw at the front. If they had a gazillion men to throw at the front, they would have. They'd already be there, wouldn't they, right? They would already yeah, be there. Or they're a year and a half too late, right? So here's the rub, right? I don't know if there's any more questions on this before we do a little talking about Niger, because I really want to talk about Niger. Let's, on this let's, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's go to Niger. No Niger. questions. No questions. No, no. No questions allowed for the moment. We'll come back to that later. Let's have a little look, see as to what on earth is going on yet again there. So the Sahel. Bear in mind, I'm no expert in the Sahel. I've fallen the Sahel, but I'm no expert in the Sahel. Uh, there's guys like Kazus Belly on Twitter who are really doing superb work um, on the Sahel. Uh, so I think... Um, and it's not your fault. You're not French. I'm not French, uh, but uh, Portugal has some involvement in the Sahel. Uh, but I mean, um, we haven't, uh, I'm not an expert in the region by far. It's a very complex region to be, to be honest and to be frank about this. It's a very, very complex region. Now, with that said, uh, we had a coup in Niger where the president Mohammed Bazoum was, uh, arrested and was sacked by General, uh, Let's see if I don't butcher his goddamn name. Abdur Chamane Chiani, General Chiani, let's call it that. It's easier. So, General Chiani, uh, on the back of a social movement, the M62 movement, uh, seized power. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's another coup in this region of the Trans Sahel. Uh, we we've had the coup in Mali, we've had the coup in Burkina Faso, and now in Niger. So the problem here is all of these juntas, uh, these military juntas, are basically uh, in bed with Russians. Now, here's the rub. Here's the problem. We are seeing, basically, what we are seeing is basically the conflict spilling over. The conflict of Ukraine spilling over. And I've said here in this space many times, many, many times, and people who followed us for for quite some time, I see a lot of you here, um, we should have dealt with Wagner in Africa the hard way back in when we had uh, a better position. But no, we haven't. So, we basically are in a position where uh, we are seeing uh, the Malian uh, and the um, 
the Burkina Faso and the Niger junta, along with Guinea, saying uh, that they'll uh, go to war if ECOWAS, which is uh, the regional uh, organization that encompasses the West African states, uh, intervenes as they predicted, as they threatened in uh, Niger. Now, Niger, the Niger Junta uh, also uh, has stated that Russia is their real friend and they want Wagner forces there. Shocker. I'm shocked. How can this be? We already have Wagner in Mali, we already have Wagner in Burkina Faso, we have Wagner in a number of other countries in the region, and we have Wagner, uh, apparently, we'll have Wagner in Niger. But we are on the verge for all effects of a regional war. Now, if you look at a map, and I'll, I'll try to publish a map here because I think it's important to people to look at the map of, of, the, of the, the overall region as there's, um, there are, uh, and also uh, I forgot an important uh, part of this, uh, Wagner is also in Libya, it's also in Mozambique, uh, remains in Mozambique, uh, and even in Angola they have a presence uh, not so, so uh, relevant, but they still do. And the thing is, Niger and Mali uh, and Burkina Faso are very large countries, very, very large countries. I think people should realize what we are talking about in terms of uh, expanse. And when we're talking about this, uh, there's uh, significant problems uh, that will stem from this. Now, France has been in Niger in this region for quite some time. But the problem is the French uh, uh, have a colonial past, of course, as so do we. But what they've been doing here, besides their own, yes, they have their own interests, but mostly what they've been doing here is uh, teaching, uh, fighting jihadis, fighting uh especially uh, ISIS uh, and Al-Qaeda offshoots in the, the Trans-Sahel region. And they've been training the Nigerian, the Niger military um, to, to do this. Uh, so have the Americans. Don't forget the U.S. has a significant presence in Niger also. Same with, um, same with France. And... They've both, uh, most of all, they've been basically training uh, forces to help uh, fight uh, jihadis uh, in in the region in in Niger. Now, in Niger, in the region of the Trans-Sahel, the juntas are good, are a bone, uh, are good for Moscow because uh, they're basically. Um, more prone to corruption. They're easy to buy off. Um, as long as the French pay them, 
everything went well. As long as the French sustained some of these elites, everything went well. Now that the French have stopped doing that, and there's other issues with that, um, we have um, this problem uh, brewing. And a regional war with the involvement of Wagner. I've shared two, two, twists, two tweets to the nest. One is by Causes Belly, and the other is by me on the Trans-Sahel with a map so people understand the, the expanse of the, what we're talking about. We have a, a major problem brewing in Africa. And to an extent, you know, this is a... Um, uh, an offshoot of the Ukrainian war. This is also one of the reasons um, that uh, Vladimir Putin uh, let Wagner ride because most of his influence and his deals and uh, the, the influence they have in Africa, the resource, uh, uh, the resources they explore in Africa, a lot of this well, most of this nowadays runs to Wagner. So the Kremlin cannot afford to lose Wagner. A lot of these, uh, a lot of these juntas will trade their power for the resources of their countries. Uh, Wagner will milk the resources, will pay them, and uh, they'll distribute some money through the populations, but they'll leave their pockets, uh, behave like oligarchs, and that's it. Now, this creates two issues. First of all, if ECOWAS intervenes, we're in the verge of a major war that involves uh, Mali, Burkina Faso, Guinea, and Niger against Nigeria, Senegal, and a number of other countries that uh, constitute ECOWAS, uh, Ivory Coast, uh, Cameroon, and all that. And, and... Jihadis are left to roam free because the most uh, prolific counter-terrorism forces, the French and the Americans, uh, will be, and even the Italians, will be out of play because of the conflict ongoing. So this is uh, a loss for us. Now, many will see a loss. Uh, and I'll... I honestly uh, think it's an opportunity, okay? And I'll say this here. I think, I see this as an opportunity. If, first of all, one important thing, again, if ECOWAS intervenes, it's not on the behest of the United States or Europe or the French or whatever. People need to understand this clearly. Nigeria, Nigeria has agency, right? Uh, I think people should realize that a country uh, such as Nigeria, with uh, its 200 million people, uh, has some agency, right? And has its own security interests, right? Uh, same with Cameroon, same with Ghana, right? Don't ever think that they're uh, being they're they're doing this 
on the behest on the payroll the behest or to make to do france and uh, the united states or europe a favor no they're looking clearly at their own security interests and by that uh they're seeing that they have a belt of not only Russian influence, but also uh, jihadis uh, on their northern border, right? And they've been yeah. engaged. They've been engaged in anti-Islamist uh, or anti-jihad operations for, operations for since two thousand three, four, whatever. Yeah, they've been at this for twenty years now. Uh, so they have. Uh, and they have a problem with this, right? They have, um, they have their own security interests, their own uh, national security policy. They're uh, especially Nigeria. With all its problems, it's a democratic country. It runs elections, does what it does. So, if they intervene, there it's because they're security interests are on the line. They're not doing us a favor. But if they decide to intervene, what I say is we should support. We should support with uh, uh, enablers, uh, I-Star, eventually uh, aircraft, Special operations units, and we should take the opportunity. We should seize the opportunity, and that's why I said it's an opportunity. If this goes down, we should seize the opportunity to strike at Wagner in Africa, uh, and this is important, right? If the locals, if the countries, uh, the local regional uh, organization. African organization decides to intervene. The West African organization decides to intervene because their their interest, Senegal, Nigeria, Ghana, Cameroon, decide to intervene because their interests are at stake. We should ask, of course, if they need any enablers, uh, which they may not, which they may not. I believe they would welcome. Uh, uh, I-star capabilities. We have significant I-star capabilities that they don't have. But, but they uh, would uh, welcome, for sure, some of our capabilities. But we should basically look at us uh, and think it's for us uh, an, an opportunity to uh, hit uh, Russia to hit uh, Russian interests in the region and to hit Wagner. Let's go after Wagner. Let's seize the opportunity, help out, and go after Wagner. We don't need extensive boots on the ground, but we do need uh, a policy that tells us, okay, we are going to do this, and uh, we'll uh, basically uh, go after uh, Wagner in the process.
let us go after Wagner. It's a unique mm-hmm. opportunity offered it's a to unique, us. It is a unique opportunity. And it's uh, there's no better opportunity than to enable uh, Africans to look after African security. We should tell the it, it's a way of us uh, stating clearly that we support uh, the West African countries that are democracies and that uh, are uh, concerned about their own security and their own issues and that are tackling a problem that's our problem too. People could argue, yes, Nigeria and Ghana and um, Senegal are not exactly Switzerland. No, but we have some issues with the Swiss too, right? So yeah, they're not exactly Switzerland. Switzerland, but I mean, you mean they're not exactly Swiss clean? Yeah, they're not exactly squeaky clean uh, uh, as the Swiss, but they're uh, they have their own interests. But I think w- the most important thing I wanted to 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 state here regarding this crisis is. Apparently, we'll have an intervention. Apparently, there are some things floating around that points to this. The French evacuating Europeans and Americans, it's a pointer to this. But if there's an intervention, we need to realize that it's not uh, driven by Western interests. It's driven by the interests of local countries, local powers, who really, really don't want an arc of instability on their borders, who don't want a Russian influence in their uh, continent, and who, most of all, don't want uh, jihadis roaming free while the military juntas do whatever they feel like doing and sell out to the Russians, right? Uh, so... This is important. This is relevant because we're going to see a lot of uh, information. Uh, the information space will be flooded by Russians. Don't make no mistake. It will be about how we, uh, how ECOWAS, if this goes down, if this operation occurs, how ECOWAS and its armies are working for the Americans and for the colonialists and whatnot. You're going to see all the useful idiots out in, out in the field banging on this and several versions of this there's always uh, several dimensions and several versions of these of this trope but most of all we need to um be clear and be precise and say no this is africans who have uh their own interests who have their own um security policy, who have their own regional organization, and they decided to uh, take care of this arc of instability in their own continent. If they do that, it's not clear yet. We'll need to look after it. What I say from our side is what you need, how can we help, and can we go after Wagner? That's my view on this, right? And it has to be seen as being something uh, regional from and inspired and led by the region. So having Nigeria with the 
strongest army in West Africa, for that matter, and one of the strongest on the continent anyway, having Nigeria lead this, yes, involve uh, some of the Ghanaians who have been, um, you know, on many, many foreign missions already, but Ghana in is Senegal, such a small... In Senegal. In Senegal. In Senegal. Yeah, Senegal is important. Yeah, absolutely. They, and they have both, Ghana with its small force, Senegal with its larger one, they've both been doing UN missions, Blue Helmet missions. They have done, done support missions everywhere in the world. They've always been committing, and that's the key thing. And if you have those three from with their different kind of force structures commit to this and Nigeria lead it, you're in a different ballgame. And Mali should take Senegal very seriously. <laughs> Niger should take Nigeria very seriously because they'll be in EMA <laughs> in a heartbeat. Yeah, of course. Uh, and, 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 I, Nigeria I, and again, I don't think... Infantry. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think the Russians really thought this true because Wagner fighting the Nigerians in Africa, uh, I'm not really sure if that's something that uh, uh, Nigerians... Uh, that the Wagner has thought through. Just saying. They may be in for a bit of a surprise. But that's that's my view on this. Uh, now, the, the issue here is uh, alerting... I wanted to talk about this, not because I'm a, 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 any sort of, of expert on, uh, on this, but I followed it somehow and more important than anything else regarding this issue is we need to uh, be mindful that we're going to face a massive uh, onslaught online about about this if this comes to pass. Not to mention that uh, there's obviously uh, by um, um, by Russia an attempt to uh, an attempt to destabilize uh, all this. So, I think uh, also uh, ECOWAS, and especially Nigeria, is a firm ally of the West and the United States in particular. So, in that sense, it's important to to realize that uh, and be ready uh, when this comes to pass, if it comes to pass. But Another important point is we have, due to Russian influence, a brewing regional war uh, in Africa that will impact a lot of people that are already very poor and live in terrible conditions. So this is another uh, unfortunate unfortunate, uh, spillover of the Ukrainian war. That's that's my uh, two cents. On what's about to go down, let's what's brewing at least. Let's put it this way. And but, it's vitally important that we invite the African nations of goodwilling to be part of that coalition and therefore uh, sort this out, right? Because that's the only and, way to uh, I get credibility. We don't think to we don't need to invite anyone. I think we should be uh, we should approach the ECOWAS if they decide to go through with this and tell them, listen. How can we help? What do you need? What I said before, how can we help? What exactly do you need from us? And can we have some of our assets join in so we take on 
uh, Wagner that is important for our own interests, which I think uh, will be able won't be difficult to accommodate. Is it fair to say, Nuno, that time is still of the essence and the deployment capability is essentially only there in Nigeria, right? At short notice. In Senegal. In Senegal. You think? All right. That's interesting. Senegal I've, I've been talking, has, Senegal I've been talking has, to some uh, people there. And... Please. Senegal has some significant forces and they're, they're experienced and they've been conducting operations. Uh, throughout the years against uh, insurgencies uh, of uh, jihad insurgents. So they they can deploy some serious capabilities too. I see we have Abdullah with his hand raised. Please, Abdullah, go ahead. Salam alaikum. Hey, salam, salam, Nuno. Obrigado, obrigado. Yes, Nuno, uh, I've been following this story ever since the, the coup took place. I don't know if you heard that uh, a couple of days ago there were eight officers arrested in Sierra Leone trying to stir up another coup there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and la- yeah, yeah. You want to comment on that first? Uh, well, I just uh, I heard it. I mean, uh, I followed it. I saw that there are security forces uh, but uh, did that. But honestly, uh, it's, a, it's a bad sign. And it's, it's probably an awful sign, yeah. it's an awful sign. It probably is a sign that there's more instability brewing, right? So in that sense, that that explains the also the the need that the the, the ECOWAS feels to intervene immediately and to get uh, a handle on this as fast as we can. But I think the West should stay out of it in the exact proportion of the support that we may enable and uh, our target of the Wagner under uh, their operation with their own accord. But if they tell us, no, we'll take care of it, we should just enable. Uh, Because this needs to be an African-led, African-commanded, African-deployed operation. Doesn't Doesn't have to be, shouldn't be, uh, uh, and it, uh, the West can enable, we can provide capabilities they may require, and if they allow us, we should go after Wagner ourselves, specifically Wagner. But apart of that, uh, we should just basically stay stay away from it, right? And just uh, help out the best we can. And enable operations the best we can. Okay, I think this is a, this is a, an important part of this um, of this whole conundrum. Okay, that's my view, Abdullah. I, and I think um, avoiding an arc of instability uh, with jihadis roaming free that will threaten porous what are porous borders because the borders between a lot of these countries are very hard to to patrol or to control because it's it's. It's huge. Uh, it's a huge expanse of ground. It's it's an absolutely a mind blowing distance. So it's it's important to people realize this is uh, complex to do, right? And I think that's that's the main the main reasoning here. But uh, we have our first offshoot of uh, the war in Ukraine. That's my point. 
Yeah, no, no. Yeah, yes. go ahead. Approval. Yeah, no, no. Um, the other thing was that I don't know if you've seen reports that that another reason why getting rid of getting rid of uh, Muammar al Qaddafi was a bad idea by the French and Nate uh, and its allies, their allies. Apparently, last night, guess who flew in from uh, from Libya into Niger? <laughs> Mr. Haftar. No, yes, yes, apparently he's, he's, he's probably the one who gave him the go-ahead. But apparently the IRGC, the leader of the IRGC in Iran, apparently flew into... Of course. Well, yeah, apparently he made his way into Niger from Libya. Kuds made it. I, I heard that. So apparently Kuds involved in Niger. Yeah, yes, yes, he, yes, he, was, he was in Niger last night, apparently. Uh, so, so I don't know. I don't know what you. What, what, what do you make of this? Bad news. <laughs> That's bad news. <laughs> and that only uh, uh, compounds to Russian involvement too. Uh, I mean, it's the Iranians and the Russians trying to create an arc of instability that they can control and milk, because they're both under sanctions. They both need this arc of instability to funnel money to funnel uh, all sorts of uh, illicit trading and commerce. That's why you, you, the locals need to, to end this. And they'll do absolutely nothing about the jihad threat roaming uh, those deserts. No, they're happy with it. Come on. Having more disaster, more chaos is perfect for them. Yeah, as long as the money flows and they can keep lining their pockets in their, their clientele. It's uh, uh, it's always good for them. They want to uh, Wagner and it's, uh, it's uh, under its uh, probably its new name, which will be Concord. Um, and this is a from a friend who says their new name is Concord. Uh, our, uh, they'll be seeking to extend control of other resources like uranium and other mines and other extraction industries uh, to obviously uh, create more uh, revenue streams for the Russians. The British government and British aerospace should immediately sue them for naming rights. <laughs> oh, but it's Concord without any in the end. And I don't think they'll really care. At all. I know, I know, I know. So, so, no, so no, no, so no, no, ECOWAS, thank you so much. ECOWAS countries now, they will have to, uh, they will have to back up their, their threat, right? They can't just back up now. If they were to back up, I think that's the end of those countries uh, that are most, most susceptible to a coup. So I was just wondering, what are you seeing on the ground in terms of force, posture, and, uh, and capability. I haven't stuff. seen. I I think that obviously the Nigerians have significant capabilities. So the Senegal, but I haven't looked to anything that resembles orders of value, orders um, orders of battle, and anything like that. I posted to the nest of the space um, a good tweet by Causes Belly, uh, where he makes a comparison, a rough comparison between uh, ECOWAS and Niger in terms of manpower, APCs, IFVs, tanks. And, of course, we're talking uh, substantial, substantial differences. Um, 
but uh, this it's worth what it's worth right uh it's uh, and we are seeing we're trying to to sorry not causes belly war mapper sorry i was mispronouncing it it's war mapper um and you know situation is screwed when war mapper starts making maps things um and counting things but uh for now uh, i'd say that uh, we have to to see where it goes if they mobilize uh, nigeria can mobilize uh fairly uh rapidly uh we'll see what uh what goes down uh, uh what goes down next let's let's uh wait i don't want to make bold predictions because I'm not familiar with uh, with the inner workings of the policy. Still, I think if ECOWAS wants to intervene, they'll have the ability to do so. And it's under their own interests and under their own policy and under their own uh, capabilities. So in that sense, it's uh, it's relevant. And you've seen you've seen uh, Brigosian has commented again today about the situation in Niger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no, I'm no. Yes. Yes. Likewise, you can see they were, of course, they were involved. Uh, but what do you call? Uh, so no, no. The threat was that uh, the the ultimatum was that they must release the president and also return to constitutional order. If they were to release the president and send him back with the with the ECOWAS uh, mediators who are in the country today, that will still be a. That will still be a they, that that uh, what do you call will not satisfy the ECOWAS countries, right? I don't think so. No. I don't think so. Uh, I think they're. Uh, uh, I think they want to. To. Uh, they'll want the president firmly in control, and they'll want these guys up. The in ECOWAS needs to back this up because they're. They are, um, it's their reputation as a regional entity on the line. Now, an interesting thing that I was browsing, Casabella just points out we have a, a Russian Ministry of Emergency Situation flight headed from Moscow to somewhere to East Africa, uh, not Sudan, eventually Ethiopia or the Central African Republic, but uh, it's in the air and it's one of these things that's usually used by Wagner so things are developing somehow let's see what's going on but I think again fortunately we are headed for a, a war in um, in, East, in Africa a major war in Africa let's see how, how this thing uh uh, turns out, but it's our first offshoot of the Ukrainian war to an extent, and it is what it is. We should seize the opportunity. So, where does it leave us in this week, the week of the beginning of August 2023? No, no, where do you see where? 50,000, 55,000, 60,000 feet? Where do you see Ukraine today? vis-a-vis -vis Russia in its war of independence? 
I think uh, we're uh, seeing Ukrainians perceive strategically very uh, systematically, and they'll continue to do so because they're trying to preserve their forces and breach the enemy uh, lines. Eventually, they'll succeed, and then we'll enter a new phase of the war. And that's and eventually other operations will happen beyond those already are engaged in the east and the south. So this will have developments in the coming weeks. Uh, I suppose that we'll eventually see the New York Times write about how um, at the end of the day NATO training worked because apparently not right now it doesn't but um i see it uh, moving in the right direction even if it's slower slower than i initially thought my bad but unlike michael kaufman i can be wrong i don't have a palantir <laughs> that had to be said and a wand, in the wand. Um, so Your distinct I, I, lack of magic, Nuno, is very disappointing. Uh, I have some books by Alistair Crowley, if that matters. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and McGregor matters. You are making my day. <laughs> but um, despite beyond my Golden Dawn and Dilemma books, I still haven't grasped the Kaufman uh, magic voodoo. Um, so I can be wrong sometimes. Randy, please. Uh, good to have you. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Radu, but let me just go over to Randy. Randy, good to have you. Uh, please go ahead. Oh, thanks. Um, I see the eventual breakout in uh, maybe more, probably more than one spot by the Ukrainian schedule, you know, who knows, but they will get it done. And the, when the war changes, um, I think that the advantages would just, it, it can be a very, very dramatic turnaround for a couple of reasons. Uh, the Russian command and control system has never been good. Um, when it's disrupted uh, with a fluid situation, it'll be just chaos. Uh, the supply situation will really get enormously worse, uh, and the units will have to start reacting at a company and battalion level uh, where there's uh, almost zero uh, Russian uh, leadership. Uh, their, their ability for uh, these smaller, more tactical units to react and commanders to make sense of things is uh, nominal. And so it could happen very fast. It's a, it's a crust they've thrown on the front, and then the crust will break. But there's a lot of them, and it's a huge area. And so there will still, you know, there will be a lot of fighting. But I think all the advantages that um, the Ukrainians have will turn into very decisive ones um, once they punch through the line. Yeah, that's a good point. I agree with you, Randy, absolutely. And I think that... Uh... To an extent, I could say we could say that the Ukrainians have been focused, laser focused, on creating effects on the enemy before creating effects on the ground, right? Uh, 
uh, if we could discuss that, it's uh, they're focused on breaking that crust that you say. And then once that's breached and you can, uh, in several areas or one or two big areas, and you can move a maneuver element into that, um, the whole thing gets uh, dicey for the Russians. And as it's an army uh, which has centralized command, as you well put it, eventually it will break. And the initiative at tactical level, at even at battalion commander level, is great. There's no sense of mission command as we we pass it on to our junior leaders, and that will have an effect. But it's a, it's a fortified, long, buried line. It takes time. But I think Ukraine has been systematic and focused on producing effects mostly on the enemy first and then getting uh, getting through and eventually breaking through. And it can lead to dramatic, and I agree with you. I'm one of the guys that agrees with you. It can be very dramatic very fast. That's that's something I, I wholeheartedly agree. Radu, please. Uh, hello again. Uh, I listened to everything you said about the African problem right now. And for sorry for my stupidity, <laughs> but it's hard to understand everything that's going on over there. But it's simple to understand one thing, that this invasion that started in 2014 and this mass invasion in from 24th of February, it's creating problems all over the world. And the only one to blame is Russia. When I hear any uh, uh, those Vatniks on Twitter, when I read them and they say, look at the expansion of NATO. Look at how they came to the borders of uh, Russia. No, NATO did not come to the borders of uh, Russia. Uh, mem- states, individual states, sovereign states, wanted to become members of NATO. You cannot stop that. If they want to become and they uh, uh, tick all the boxes and NATO wants them because they are democratic, they are. They want to be part of the uh, a big alliance, uh, defending uh, uh, a defensive alliance. Why not? Yes, and uh, let's not forget that there was a council, NATO Russia Council, for a few years, uh, and it was even in Bucharest that was it was uh, yes cre- uh, created. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, because NATO wanted to assure Russia that nothing is wrong. And in Romania, we have part of the ages ashore uh, system. Uh, so uh-huh. we have the, the, the Veselu uh, uh, shield. Yeah, you know. Uh, so, the, and we. Missile tree complex. Yep, 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 yep. yep. And we, uh, our former president, who had really big balls against Russia, uh, uh, sorry for my language. Uh, he always said, "Russians, come inspect." Uh, of course, with the 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 the, the with, with United States accepting this, 
come inspect. Yes, it's a U.S. Navy facility. Look exactly. It's a U.S. Uh, Navy facility. Come ex- inspect and see that this is defensive uh, uh, system. But one no, thing no, no. One thing about the African issue is don't forget one thing. This serves um, as also as a way to supply uh, weapons to Russia. Absolutely. Absolutely, but but my problem is that and people that, will die. Yes, a lot of people will die because of this, and because some mobsters in Russia, and some crime families in Russia, will end up profiting from all this. Yes, and, and, that's, and that's that's and, the and, issue here. Yeah, this is this is my problem because I don't see. I, I'm sorry no, to say it like Russia. this. The issue is Russia. Yes. Uh, yeah, and uh, well, uh, I'm sorry to say, it, but I feel a wind of change, and this is this time not. The good wind of change that we heard we we heard it in 1999. If this war doesn't end soon enough, and this war can be uh, 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 ended soon enough, in if Western, Western, uh, yeah, if 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 it Western, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Westerns, Westerners have to pull their pens up and really act and give those attackums and give everything that is needed i can understand that f16s are harder to 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 give not be, because the training takes long and stuff like that i can understand i i, I can understand even that the abrams are very uh, uh, they are very heavy for the terrain in ukraine i can understand everything but at attackums i cannot i cannot understand I, I'm, and going there write, are... i'm going to write a piece on i have a, a piece written on that actually Uh, it will be in a Portuguese newspaper, but uh, I'll I'll translate to English and share it, and I'll, I'll let you know because I have a piece around that, and, and I'll, I'll I'll ask the yeah, you guys to. to uh, and one more thing that I wanted to say, what uh, uh, what, so what would what would we define as a uh, as a breakthrough? Uh, breakthrough of the one of the big lines of uh, Surovikin line or the whole Surovikin line? Part of because I wanted you don't need part of it. okay. Then part I can say it. it. Part of it. Then I can say it right now that uh, part Promoted. of it. Uh, yep. You so you got the information too. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Close to. Let's let, uh, and we and we will stop here. Close to because you know you know what we are talking about. I got the information exactly like this, and uh, yeah, uh, I just yeah we stop here. Uh, that's enough. Uh, yeah, wait. thank you. And we very calmly, kindly wait because at the point TV. in time, exactly at the point in time when things have moved sufficiently, we will be told anyway in public. But please, no, no. Shall we go to ATV? Is that okay for you? ATV, and we'll wrap it up. Yes, ATV, please okay. go ahead. Sorry for the long wait, May. Please go ahead. Uh, it's a very enjoyable wait. Thank you, Nuno. Um, 
I have two very similar questions, just separated by scale. Maybe I'll start with the small one, and if there's no time, we can skip it. But to the second one, but looking at Star Myosca, Star Malinka, Star Malinka, uh, bigger town. Um, my understanding is that it is on the Suravikan line. It, very naively, I look at that and I think whatever the effort was, and it was very costly and very painful, but but successful ultimately to get to Star Myosca. Is the effort to get through Starmalinka that much bigger, or is that just too simplistic, too naive a way of looking at that? I think Starmalinka uh, is a significant effort too, but uh, you need to uh, you need to bridge the line in Starmalinka. Starmalinka is just north of the line; you'll need to bridge it. But I think their objective is probably to go around Starobolinivka to an extent. Okay, if you look uh, at the map, you'll see on the eastern side of of Starobolinivka a city called uh, Oktyabarsk, Oktyabarsk, and uh, on the eastern side Volodin. I think uh, this is where you need to break the line. To involve to get an invol- an envelopment of Staromlinivka, um, but you still have uh, to progress south before you can um, envelop. Let's put it this way, Staromlinivka. But uh, Staromlinivka is important, as you say, because it controls the the ground lines of communication uh, south, uh, both east, west, and. Uh, well, sorry, both east and south, east and southwest. So it's important and it goes along the Macriol River, right? Uh, and uh, it's it's the road that the O518 uh, runs parallel to the Macriol River. So it would be important to use some old, old maps that the Germans used back in the day to Volodin and or- Orleaninsk and down here, because if you can seize uh, Oktyobriansk here on the western part, you can basically um, funnel all these forces south. And this is important, and it controls the road to Novomayorsk, and you cut off uh, Russian forces up north in Novomayorsk and Novodonetsk, okay? But it's 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 a hard fight for sure, ITV for sure. I hope that answers the question. If you're looking at the map, I was looking at the map. Um, Get my point? Yeah, I I do. Um, is it okay if I ask my bigger scale question? Go ahead, go ahead. Um, so very similar, just scale like difference. Um, it was mentioned earlier how. I think you mentioned it earlier, actually, uh, how this reminds you a lot of uh, the Hersan offensive. Mm-hmm. And, and it, the, it strikes me as a lot of similarities as well, specifically how it started, how it changed, and hopefully hopefully how it ends. Um, but that offensive sort of started, from my memory, around after Sievardonetsk and the mm-hmm. arrival and of Heimars. Sorry? And After the battles yeah. for Sverdlovsk and Lysychenkes, yeah, and so that would have been sometime mid mid July ish, so about about a, about yeah, a year yeah. ago. Uh, yeah, something like that. Yes, something. It doesn't. I mean, it, 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 the the details don't particularly matter, but but that lasted from July till roughly sometime October. in November. 
Yeah, October. Okay. So it was October, November, something like that, when they launched the Kharkiv offensive. Yeah. So it was about tenth of tenth no- of November. Tenth yes. Of November. Yes. So it was roughly. I mean, ballpark. You could call it three months if you're being generous, or four months if you're if, four if you're being four months. And and so it was to, that was to isolate that very large pocket, but that pocket is still smaller than the one we're dealing with today. And the one that we're dealing with today... Oh, far smaller. Far smaller. I mean, the one that we're dealing with today is roughly the size of Israel. Like, coincidentally, like, in terms of length and width, it's, it's actually a pretty close fit um, mm-hmm. to, to the nation of Israel. Um, and it has... Maybe it's debatable, but I think it has better ground lines of communication, better supply routes than, 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 than that Kherson did after they started hitting the Antonovsky um, bridge. Um and so I look at that and I think if that was three to four months of, of some pretty na- nasty mm-hmm. fighting and then finally collapse, do I not just look at this and think, well, this is X six months, big. six months. So Christmas basically is, is kind of, if you take, if you take that and scale it up, it's the South. Yeah. It's not the East. And, but the thing is, uh, as Randy was saying back a while ago, if there is a significant breach and you pour out your reserves into this, this thing can go faster, right? But it's still, sorry, excuse me, but it's still a lot of ground, a, a lot of significant urban areas, so it can draw out a bit. But the problem is uh, interdicting reinforcements. You need to cut it, but basically, you need to stop the Russians having the ability to reinforce their forces in the south. Um, and that's it. And, and but that's significant efforts, right? Uh, and there's more to this. That's why the issue of attackums is important, because you could launch multi-vector, multi-pronged attacks at high-value targets like airfields and other uh, other uh, region, other assets that could be very, very, very significant. Right, you could accelerate uh, this. You could hit Sevastopol, the air bases in Crimea, the helicopter base in Berdyansk, with multi-vector, multi-dimensional uh, attacks, with drones and storm shadows and attackums, and there's roughly nothing the Russians could do about it. That's one of the importances of attackums. Thank you. I, I I have another question, but it can definitely hold till till next week. Um, okay. It's more. It's a more. It's a more positive one. So maybe I'll have a more positive question for you next week. <laughs> <laughs> this is a positive Sorry. question, but uh, yeah. we have to talk, we have to look at it. Uh, and that this is my assessment, right? But it's what what it's worth. Radu, please let's finish this up. I need to go. Go ahead. Quick. Uh-huh. Then I'll be uh, quick. Uh, quick. Yeah, it, it is ve- it is a larger portion, but uh, if you remember, uh, if we all remember, uh, in Harrison, it was a deception in in the first place that they telegraphed that they we will counterattack in Harrison, and after that they attacked the 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 eastern flank, and uh, the eastern flank fall off. And in Harrison, the uh, uh, different attack is differentiated by this one, uh, by this uh, counteroffensive because they had a point where they have to go, and it had an object objective, and that was Harrison City. To liberate it, it had a political uh, uh, objective. It had a strategic ob- objective and stuff like that. You need, Here, you need to see the city. Here, you don't need to see the city. 
Exactly. Here, you, you just have to cut the lines. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, it is hard, but it's in a way, it, it is bigger, but you just have to cross two lines. And after Staromalinka, if we look at the, uh, uh, at the map, you have after that, uh, exactly, uh, you have the uh, Sorovikin line. But after that, from there on, you basically don't have uh, anything. And the, uh, the ground line of communications that are maybe better than in uh, in Israel to, to, to say like this, they will work in Ukraine's favor after that, not in yes. uh, Russian favor. Yes, that's about no it. there's no reserves after that, that station. Yeah, I hope I, I was fast enough. Thank you. Thank, enough. you. Thank you so much. Guys, uh, uh, guys and girls, uh, thank you so much for the time, Axel. I think we, David, thank you. We'll wrap it up. And uh, we'll see you next week. No, oh, I'm looking forward to it, Nuno. Very much looking forward to it. <laughs> With a regional war going on in Africa. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a lot to speak to by then. Uh, yeah. uh, let's hope not. I think by next week we'll be talking about significantly more intense warfare in the South and uh, along her Other things we'll too. See. We'll see. There's other things brewing, cooking. I'll send you an Alistair Crowley book when uh, this is always done, so you oh. can enjoy. I am delighted. I'm just going through currently uh, something from Christian Hartmann, which I read many years ago, and I'm still coming up with the same kind of questions in the Southeast. And this is about the Wehrmacht im Ostkrieg. And he's writing about exactly those areas where they are fighting now. It's terrifying uh, yeah, to see I don't the, have the, map, the repetition. I don't have the maps. Yeah, the thing is, Hartmann, Hartmann is a very good professor at uh, the staff at uh, the... Um, yeah. The staff uh, he had uh, at his uh, university was absolutely fantastic. And they, I mean, since Sönken Einzel is in Potsdam, there's an even better explanation as to what the material covers. But the thing is that these keep areas it, which you have described... That, keep it at that. Yeah, absolutely. But the thing <laughs> is, no, no, you've, you, the, the areas you have so kindly described in the recent weeks and months with us here have been fought over for such a long time, uh -huh. again and again and again. And still today, the territory determines the lives of the infantiers. Uh, I believe it's Robert Kaplan who wrote a, a great book called The Revenge of Geography. I recommend everyone read it. It's about geography, boys and girls. It's always about the geography. And geography determines the way we fight, even if we can fight 24-7 from the air and from the sea and whatever. And from cyberspace and effect fires from cyberspace and from space and whatnot. But geography is always geography. And I've said that consistently here, by the way. It's the problem here is the disconnect between the numbers and the geography. So everyone, thank you so much. See you next week. And we'll be here to talk about what's cooking. Obrigado. Bye. Good night. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Ciao, ciao.